Welcome to DAC Beechcroft's Lowcast. My name is Rowena McCormack and I'm a partner in the Commercial Litigation Department in our Dublin office. This podcast is part of the GC Get Connected series aimed at general counsels and other senior decision makers in Ireland. The purpose of the collective is to help our colleagues to stay up to date and informed. In this podcast, employment partner Barry Reynolds and senior associate Ashley Parkinson discuss the legal aspects of remote working in Ireland, including specific reference to recent government guidelines and evolving legal issues. Welcome to DAC Beechcroft's Lawcast. I'm Barry Reynolds, a partner in the Dublin employment team. And in this episode, I'm talking to senior associate on the employment team, Iceling Parkinson, and we're talking about remote working in Ireland. Everyone has learned a lot about remote working since early 2020. In this episode, we will discuss the government's plans to embed remote working as a more sustainable model. And also we'll discuss some of the risks arising. There is now a detailed government strategy document. The strategy document is just that, a plan, but it does lay out the direction of travel in this area. It envisages that many workers will longer term become what they're referring to as blended workers. So some work is remote and some work is on the employer's premises, blended. The plan establishes three pillars. The first pillar is concerned with what is termed creating a conducive environment for remote work. And it's this really, and the related issues arising that we're focusing on. This is the pillar, which is most relevant to the rights and liabilities of employers. So Iceland, how would you summarize the key developments here? So Barry, In respect of pillar number one, effectively, the government has set out four areas within that pillar, and it really is the part of the strategy, which is the legal approach to remote working, hence why we're focusing on it. All of this will impact on the rights and liabilities of employers and employees in this area. The main points as we see it are, number one, the fact that towards the end of quarter three, 2021, there will be legislation providing for the introduction of a new right to request remote work in this jurisdiction. There's also underway a code of practice on the right to disconnect from work, which is currently being prepared by the WRC and due for issue by the end of this quarter. The third branch of this pillar is the fact that updated summaries of the current various legal guidance available, such as health and safety guidance, data protection guidance, will continue to be looked at on an ongoing basis, as well as new guidance to be issued on an ongoing basis in respect of those relevant areas to the area of remote work. Lastly, the government has identified tax incentives as a particular area within this pillar. That is going to be an area of interest to employers and employees, but it's a point that we won't go into here pending more details on what to expect. So taking first then the three prongs there, if you like, that we're going to discuss. The first one is the statutory right to request remote working, and that's going to be introduced in quarter three, 2021. And I think it is worth maybe canvassing some points in relation to this new statutory right. But a question that many employers and employees will have here is whether or not there is a continuing right to work remotely or a right to switch from premises-based working to working remotely. What are the views on that issue? Yeah, so as you said, for many, that is the threshold question here, given that now the majority of employees are working remotely and are wondering, can they do that into the long term? There is currently no general right to continue remote working. I think a lot of it will depend on the language used and messages to employees throughout 2020 and in terms of how clear it is that employers have a right to unilaterally discontinue it, provided, of course, public health advice permits that. 
the, the introduction of this strategy by the government makes it clear that they're not intending to introduce a general legal right to remote work in Ireland. The legislation which is imminent will be concerned with the right to request remote working. So this will put a legal framework around how requests must be considered. And employees, as a result, will, will be minded to adopt policies which set out clear criteria in this respect. There will need to be a review or an appeal process within employer structures. So it's very evident that the government are putting huge emphasis on the fact that employees are going to have this fundamental right to request work and in turn are expecting employers to consider those requests earnestly and have structures within which the requests can be framed. So I think there is an opportunity then for employers to look back at the messaging to employees at the outset of mass remote working in early 2020 and up to the present, and there is an opportunity there for employers to mend their hands. It's also going to be interesting to have employers review on an ongoing basis the criteria and their approaches to remote working over time. But it seems that it's not just remote working here that's really germane to the issues. It's also flexible working, and the two issues are distinct. And flexible working is also going to be dealt with. There's no current general right to request flexible working. Isn't that right? And is that set to change? That's that's right. The Work-Life Balance Directive was introduced in August 2019, and it gets a special mention in the government strategy document. So this directive is aimed at providing better work-life balances for parents and carers by providing flexible working options. The directive itself encompasses the idea of remote working within the description of flexible working. So we'd consider it very likely that the government will look at both of these concepts side by side, remote working, which is, of course, the ability to work outside a designated workplace, and flexible working, which is a broader concept and encompasses when and how work is actually done. Okay, so it's not just about where the work is done, which is, I think, on everyone's radar, but also also how and when it's done. And the second area I mentioned there was to keep a close eye on also the right to disconnect. Isn't that right? Yeah, and there will be a code of practice on the right to disconnect from work. The WRC are currently working on that and it's due for publication at the end of this quarter. So quarter one, 2021. This will help employers to deal with the challenges of work-life integration in a remote workplace and arising from the more conventional working practices. However, it's really important for employers to understand that it will not change the fact that the onus is on the employer to proactively manage working time and ensure breaks and rest periods are taken. So whilst the code is very much a welcome addition by the government and the WRC, employers still need to be alert to the fact that they're responsible for monitoring working time. And I think this area of working time and the right to disconnect is very much a live issue and has been for a long time. I think it's fair to say that employers don't necessarily have to wait for that code. Many employers will have been taking steps over many years to look at this issue. And there are differing views on whether or not the current working time legislation is fit for purpose. Arguably, it doesn't take account of modern working practices. For example, roles that require employees to work across time zones at various times of the day. I think it's fair to say that some older decisions recognize that employees to a certain extent can be expected to follow employers' directions and to sensibly manage their own working time. And one would hope that the code of practice will also recognize that because what has happened in some recent high profile cases is that there has almost been strict liability in circumstances where employees have drifted into what might be called illegal working arrangements in circumstances where they might be working well in excess of the 48 hour maximum on a weekly basis, for example. Absolutely. And the interesting thing is within 
the strategy document and within these pillars, working time is not called out on in its own remit as being something they're going to tackle, but it might form part of the flexible working approach. So we don't anticipate any change to the current situation. And as you said, employers should already ideally have their houses in order in that respect. So the status quo is that all obligations will remain with the, into the employer to ensure that appropriate and statutory rest is taken by their employees. The third key issue then you mentioned at the outset, Aisling, is for employers to keep an eye on the existing suite of employment-related obligations which apply to remote workers. That's right. In late 2020, the publication of official guidance documents commenced and became available online. These are to be periodically revised for the benefit of employers and employees in terms of how to work remotely and the risks and liabilities which may arise. But they're a really helpful starting point for employers and organisations who are trying to now get to grips with the fact that remote working is going to be potentially a permanent fixture in their organisations. So items such as the strategy document we've discussed, a really helpful remote working checklist for employers is found on the Department of Enterprise, Trade and Employment. There's a guidance on working from home document produced by the Health and Safety Authority. And the Data Protection Commissioner has also produced some guidance on remote working. So it's really evidence from the publications that are currently available that remote working covers you know, a magnitude of areas, not just employment law. Health and safety, data protection are key factors here too. Okay. And there is, I think, a timetable? There is. The, the, the strategy document does give concrete timeframes by which guidance and legislation will be implemented. So, as I've mentioned, your right to request remote working is hopefully going to be implemented towards the end of quarter three, 2021. Going to get sight of hopefully the code of practice and the right to disconnect at the end of this quarter. So there's def- very much a focused and concerted effort on the part of the government now to make remote working um, something tangible and achievable into the future and beyond the pandemic. And I think it's very welcome to have all these guidances, which in my view, are really a starting point, but really valuable in terms of demystifying the area of remote working. And we mentioned at a high level that employers need to consider in working on their approach to this area, various different risks. It's worth flagging that some of those anticipated risks have have long been present and remain there. So one case in point, I think, is what employers had great concern about in relation to dealing with remote working requests over time is the risk of discrimination claims. This is said to continue, and I think that the risks here will mainly focus on workers who have caregiving responsibilities, and that is called out in various documents, including in the strategy document. That's one category of workers that may require flexibility Other categories of workers in respect of which employers need to remain, I wouldn't say on alert, but to really need to ensure that there's a robust decision-making process is where an employee may suffer from some form of disability and a request to work remotely or engage in blended working or have some form of flexibility could well form part of a request for reasonable accommodation to help those employees overcome obstacles. Another protected characteristic is the age ground, which has recently been called out as perhaps also being relevant in circumstances where remote or blended working may assist ongoing participation in the workforce. So it remains the case that there's no general obligation to grant remote working or blended working, and it isn't going to be a freestanding right. But I think the criteria will have to be considered through the prism of equality legislation, reasonable accommodation and indirect discrimination. Whilst none of it does translate to a right to work remotely, these are all issues which have been live for a long time and I think will be a space to watch going forward. 
Absolutely. And as employment lawyers, we'll be watching that particular area really carefully with the implementation of the legislation towards the end of this year. And discrimination and equality issues aside, just to recap on other risks um, associated with this area, and we've mentioned them in our discussion already, Barry, the working time implications of permitting your workforce to work remotely for even a hybrid or in some instances, it might be a majority of the time. Employers are going to have to build that into their systems and acknowledge that they are responsible for monitoring that and making sure that employees are getting sufficient rest breaks. The health and safety issues, the fact that we know from health and safety legislation as it stands that employers are responsible for the workplace, whether that be a remote workplace or not. Thankfully, the Health and Safety Authority have issued detailed guidance that goes even so far as to explain to employers how to carry out ergonomic assessments of workplaces remotely. The other types of things we're going to see really include items, as we consider, such as mental health issues, those issues that come about as a result of perhaps working in isolation, going from a team situation to an isolated um, situation. And and employees should be provided with support in in that area too. We've touched on the data protection concerns as well. That in in and of itself could warrant an entire separate discussion. Suddenly you have people who have access to their data from home, access to company sensitive confidential information. So all of these areas are the ones to watch as this topic itself evolves. In terms of planning, there are now available then more tools, guidance documents and experience than ever before for employers to consider the strategic approach on work location and to reflect that in their developing policies. When, how and where employees conduct their work is more fundamental than ever and may even feature at the outset of an employment relationship in the same way that salary negotiations feature. At the same time, a remote first approach mightn't be practical or desirable for many employments. And many employers will, I think, legitimately revert predominantly to office-based work. Others will adopt a hybrid, and I think it's key to say here that there is a choice while there are risks there remains a choice employers now know how to make that choice and how to implement it in line with the official parameters of the guidance documents and checklists and employers will need to consider upfront the risks and benefits arising from these developments so that seems a good point to conclude our high level discussion thank you Aisling. it has been timely i think to discuss some of the issues arising in this fast moving and increasingly key area for employers if you want to find out more about these issues from Aisling parkinson or myself barry reynolds or to learn more about our offering please visit our website at www.dacbeachcroft.com thanks very much